You are listening to Pastor Ben Echol of Calvary Chapel, Keweenaw Peninsula, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Tune in each week as Pastor Ben teaches through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Or watch us live on Sunday mornings at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our Facebook page. You can access our library of teachings at www.ccqanon.com. So, uh, 2 Kings 8, this is a a chapter about a, uh, it's about the divine providence of God. Right? Do you and I really believe God is in control of all the events going on throughout the world and in the world history and the future events that are about to transpire? Do you really believe that? We tend to forget that, don't we? Especially we're sandwiched between two election years and, and we get bent out of shape when God doesn't heed our advice as to who should run our country and states and so on and so forth, but God does have a very strong involvement in the affairs of men, even in the sinful behavior, even in the mistakes of men, and and sometimes you and I don't get to see it because it's like the Macy's Day Parade. If you're standing on the curb, you can only see what's passing in front of you, but if you're in the Goodyear balloon, right, the blimp or whatever they want to call it, the the dirigible, (laughs) you get to see the whole parade right? From beginning to end. And that's where God's vantage point is. And so he is at work in that. Um, The doctrine of divine providence asserts that God is in complete control of all things. He is sovereign over the universe as a whole, the physical world, the affairs of nations, human destiny, human successes and failures, and the protection of his people. This doctrine stands in direct opposition to the idea that the universe is governed by chance or fate. Through divine providence, God accomplishes his will. To ensure that his purposes are fulfilled, God governs the affairs of men and works through the natural order of things. The laws of nature are nothing more than God's work in the universe. The laws of nature have no inherent power, rather They are the principles that God set in place to govern how things normally work. They are only laws because God decreed them. Divine providence is taught in Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things mean all things. God is never out of control. Satan can do his worst, yet even the evil that is tearing the world apart is working toward a greater final purpose. We can't see it yet, but we know that God allows things for a reason and that his plan is good. It must be frustrating for Satan. No matter what he does, he finds that his plans are thwarted and something good happens in the end. So the doctrine of divine providence can be summarized this way. God in eternity past in the counsel of his own will, ordained everything that will happen, yet in no sense is God the author of sin, nor is human responsibility removed. The primary means by which God accomplishes his will is through secondary causes. In other words, God usually works indirectly to accomplish his will. So, 
I painstakingly cut and pasted that from gotquestions.org this morning. So I, I woke up extra early just to cut and paste. So it was God's will. Now, it's important for us to set that as the tone for the narrative. Second Kings chapter 8 begins with, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. You're familiar with this woman. Remember, she had a son that died and came back to life, and she set up an apartment upstairs from her house uh, to host Elisha, just kind of as, as a bed and breakfast at the time. You know, it was for hospitality reasons, and, and so God was blessing her as she was blessing the prophet. But God is now speaking through Elisha saying, you got to leave everything. you got to leave the farm. you got to leave the house. And it's not just as sophisticated as, or not as simple as just leaving your lease. This was your livelihood. See, her husband's not in the narrative, is he? So what happened to him? He probably passed, right? Something happened. He's not around. So for her to leave her livelihood was more than just relocating and working from home over in, you know, the Philistine-occupied territory. And so oftentimes you're going to find when God calls you to an act of obedience, you will suffer loss. That flies in the face of everything the TV preacher tells you, right? Prosperity, God is going to give you more, right? They, 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 they mistake faith for covet. <laughs> so she's going to have to trust the Lord. Isn't that hard to do? We say it all the time. We do trust God as long as we have the bank account behind the statement, right? Before we have the tangible thing in our lap. I can trust God more with a $100 bill in my pocket than when we're eating toaster shaking soup. And so she's simply got to exert some faith that God has a real reason for what, what's going on. And, and the reason is God is sending a famine upon the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, why? Well, we know Israel's been given over to idolatry. They're actually worshiping the false god Baal, right? And God is going to judge Israel for that by confronting what they believe is Baal's magical powers. And that's the control of weather. God's going to show he's preeminent in that. And so <clears throat> he's sending a famine. And notice the famine's coming after, remember last chapter, what, what, did, ha what happened there? There was a siege against Samaria. So these guys are just getting brutalized. You know, sometimes God needs to get under his people's skin, right? He'll send the critics, right? Because you need the critics. Don't demonize your critics, right? He'll kick you in the wallet. He'll dry up your provision and go, hey, pay attention, right? He'll send whatever he needs to send to get you to, to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it, right? He loves these people, they have taken his name. They're called Israel. They're called governed by God, but they were lying, right? That's why God says, don't take my name in vain. That doesn't mean use my name as a curse word. It means don't fake it, right? Don't say you're a biblical Christian when you live like the world, right? God's going to come in because we know what? The judgment of God comes first where? On Wisconsin. No, on the, on the children of God, the house of God. Have you noticed Sometimes as, as you really press into the things of God, you feel like you're just getting jabbed and attacked and poked and prodded and blah, blah, blah. And 
you find that's the answer to prayer. You know, the only one in the whole narrative of the, of the rebellion of, of the northern kingdom really is Elisha and maybe this woman, right? I like Elisha because he's surrounded. He has nothing but people who aren't walking with God around him. Target-rich environment. Well, this woman is going to suffer loss. You know, I find that true in my life. As God called me to the UP, the year before I went to the UP, I bought a house. I paid way too much for it. This was uh, 2006. If anybody remembers property values in 2006, the only thing cheaper than owning a house, or, or rather renting a house, was owning. Like rent was an astronomical, you know, we bought a house, and so we decided we were going to live off the church food bank for the next year. Well, we didn't decide that. We just didn't read the fine print of what God had for us. So uh, the rapture occurred. It took our car away from us, so we had to uh, ride our bicycles to work, which I was a manager of a bike shop, so it actually bolstered the, the value of what we were doing. We had two incredible record years, you know, because gas went up to three fifty a gallon. Um, so we couldn't afford a car even if we needed it. We had to rely on other people in the church to drive my wife to work or to the store. Um, we, um, we learned how to take those, those nickels and fold the flats around so they touch. And so we were house poor. And then God calls us to go to the UP, and we, he says, you got to leave in three weeks. Great, I'll just put this up on the MLS, we'll sell it. Well, guess what happened? That's when the housing market took a dot. And so we did post it on the MLS. Nobody bought it. it. It got foreclosed upon, right? And so if you guys understand foreclosures, they put a little memo in your record saying you're a deadbeat, right? And um, the problem is, is I couldn't have sold it for what I paid for it, you know? So they did sell it short sale and uh, they did get some money back out of it. But, it, you know, 40 grand was lost on the deal. And so... But if you understood what China then did, came and bought all that debt, created fictitious debt recovery companies, and tried to, and what they did is they got all that bailout money from our current presidential administration at that time, right? Remember when we bailed China out? We paid them all this, this money, right? And so going to my accountant, he went, ha, 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 get in line, join the club. No one takes this seriously. This isn't going to hurt you. You know, but you know, inside of me, I'm like, well, I agreed to pay this loan. My yes was yes, my no was no. But then the Lord's like, is this mine? Can I do what I want with your property? And I had no physical means to redeem it. Well, it was redeemed. It was sold. Everybody got bailout money. Blah blah blah. But the the the, the wisdom behind it was is I left to Michigan, and if I would have ever gone back to Minnesota, they would have come after me in debt recollection because. I left the state. They couldn't pursue me. So it kept me in Michigan, knowing that if I step foot back there, they'd, they'd take my checks. So God had it all worked out. Everyone got paid in the end, but it kept me in Michigan because I was called to plant churches. And, you know, if you've ever planted a church, uh, you don't want to plant churches. You know, you learn to park in the getaway position every Monday morning, and you drive to the outskirts of town to see how many miles it is to the next town. But you can't go further than that because God keeps you broke so you don't have gas money. So <laughs> it, it, was, it was just a good season we were in. But I felt in obedience, this is what God was called. We suffered loss. So much so in our church at that time, we would have parties. Whenever somebody got a divorce, had a repossession, 
lost a house to foreclosure, we would all take our food stamps and go buy a bunch of steak and ice cream and watch Star Wars. Sounds trashy, doesn't it? But that's all we had, you know, and that's just how we celebrated. Like, here we go. God called us to do this and we all suffered loss. And, uh, you know, and, you know, it, it did affect my reputation. People did accuse me of, you know, being a deadbeat and so on and so forth. And, you know, what, what was I to say? You know, there's nothing I could do about it. And, um, but I've outlasted them. The people who criticize me are no longer in the community. So, you know, you know me. I'm a cockroach. I ain't going away. <laughs> so, God's getting under Israel's skin, but he's going to protect this woman by sending her to Samaria, which is over in Edom, modern-day Jordan. And if you've been to Jordan, you know what they have? Sand. Beautiful country, you know. I've gone scuba diving there. We've seen Petra, but uh, it's, there's not a lot happening there. But turn with me, or if you want to take notes, Matthew 19, verses 23 through 30. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle that for a than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all to follow you. Therefore, what shall we have? Isn't he making such an indignant remark? We, we've left everything. We've forsaken all. Then he says, So what do we get? Right? What do we get? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of, tribes of Israel. And everyone, that's you, that's me, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. So, Christ does require obedience, and obedience will require loss, and not just material, but relationship-wise. Isn't it hard to separate from the people that you've been leaning on and helping, and you have your support network, and they've actually served as a form of training wheels in a sorts, but then God says, time to leave all that and trust in me. Right? It's so easy to call someone up before praying, right? Who do you go to first when you're in trouble? We all have that emergency credit card family member, right? You know what I'm talking about? You ever get an emergency credit card for emergencies, and then all of a sudden you've created all these emergencies in your life? The emergency pack of gum, right? The emergency pay your utilities on your credit card, the emergency uh, video on Amazon.com, right? You know, you find these emergencies. <laughs> Sometimes friends and family will hinder your faith walk. And he requires us to leave all of that, forsake all, as we saw back in the garden when, when God made marriage. But notice, we will inherit a hundredfold. God is a debtor to no man. 
But the, the bottom line is we need to count the cost in our obedience to Christ. Is he free to direct you? Is he free to take from you? Is he free to give to you? Is he free to call the shots? If God were to reach into your life right now and take something or someone, who would you run to to cover? Right? So, Luke chapter 14, this kind of goes along that thought here. Uh, Verse 25, taking notes, says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, Count the cost of discipleship. He says, if, if you're not willing to forsake everything in your life, if you're not willing to hate everything in your life, you can't truly be to the full capacity of discipleship Christ calls you to be, right? Jesus warned, of, warned us of what? The cares of the world, right? Where should I live? Where should I stay? Where should I make money? Who should I marry? You know, what color socks should I buy? All these things. You ever take inventory of what, what you think about throughout the week? This is what's called the American dream, the cares of the world. We've deified it. We worship it, right? And, and, you know, we've heard the saying, where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow, right? You don't even know ministry till you've made the casserole. And you all know what I'm talking about. Because you know who donates what to the food bank? It's always outdated canned goods you mix with dried beans or peas, and you bind it together with cream of something soup, and you serve it with the outdated uh, can of decaf coffee and the green jello. And hopefully, somebody there has donated some kind of meat product made from an undesirable organ meat. You don't even know ministry till you make that hustle, right? You just get a crock pot, and oh, baby Jesus, thank you, Lord, I am eaten. And if you're crafty, you go to the gas stations and you steal the hot pepper packets and the Parmesan cheese packets and the peppers and the salts. And you come home and you take your RB special sauce and the fire sauce from McDonald's, or not McDonald's, but, but Taco Bell. And now you've got a lubricant to get that thing in your mouth. And you're like, praise the Lord. All right? Anyone been there? Oh, oh. Th- th- those are the years of the small things. Don't despise those, right? When I eat steak, I just pause and go, Oh, 2005. Thank you, Lord, for this steak. You guys know Chick's pizza recipe? Just ask Chick about his pizza recipe. Just saying, it's just, it's just a good, good. Him and I were joking. We we're going to put the ministry cookbook together. <laughs> Anyhow, as I diverge here, verse 2. <laughs> 
So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. She didn't argue. She didn't kick. She didn't scream. She didn't add her logic. She just did what she was told. Isn't that the greatest miracle in the Bible? Somebody did what they were told. That's why you and I aren't in the pages of the Bible. We couldn't have fulfilled this. Um, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Remember this guy? Now, this may or may not be in chronological order. We don't know. Remember, he was the man that kind of, he, he tried to uh, get the gift that was given to Elisha after Elisha said, I don't want your money. And the guy went back, hey, he said, give me the money, give me the money. And then Elisha told him, he says, you're going to be cursed with the leprosy now. So whether or not he was a leper or not, we don't know. But either way, what is Gehazi doing hanging out with the king? Now, is he a leper? Is he in the presence of the king? Or is he uh, still being, quote-unquote, obedient to God? And I say that loosely. And why is he hanging out with the king? And he's not supposed to, he should be with Elijah. Um, anyhow, so he's going to go to the king and present this appeal. But notice he says, the king is curious. Tell me, please. All the great things Elisha has done. You are going to find, Christian, the trial and the loss and the heartache and the suffering and the pain you are going through isn't even about you. See, God's trying to get to the king. And right now the king is just hearing rumors, right? Tell me about this Elijah. What kind of things is Elijah doing here? Now, we don't know the whole conversation. We don't know the king's motive. Is he just looking for the uh, miracles? Like King Herod, remember Jesus came to King Herod, and he's like, ooh, I've been longing to see this guy. Do some miracles, Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Nothing, right? And is he just simply curious for curiosity's sake? I think of Paul, remember, when he was before King Agrippa? And he's like, oh. You almost had me converted. Right? Sometimes these people are just looky-loose. They're just kicking the tires. They just want to hear about God. That's a dangerous spot to be in here. We don't know. We can't come to any conclusion. But nonetheless, God brought the woman to the king for a moment of testimony. That's the important thing is you and I have that testimony, whether it be God did this for me, God did that for me. But people want to hear it. And then the Holy Spirit will take that and do what he needs to accomplish. So we see throughout the story that the woman suffered temporary loss of her house. All right, I got ahead of myself. Hold on one second. Verse 5, it says, Now it happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son had, re he, excuse me, he had restored to life appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the lord appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, 
and all the proceeds of the field from that day she left then until now. So she's getting back pay. So the woman suffered temporary loss, but seven years, think of seven years of not working and having a place to stay. I mean, think about it as we're heading into, uh, well, I don't believe I'm going to go through the tribulation, but what God's going to do in the seven years of the tribulation, seven years is long. It's hard, but she's going to receive back what was hers. So God had this divine appointment set up for her. They were going to testify to the king. He restores her losses. God was glorified. The king was ministered to. But we don't know the outcome of the king. But that's not the point. The outcome's not up to us, is it? Are you willing to go through some suffering, through some hardships, so someone can hear your testimony of how God is alive in your life? You know, as we're foreseeing what's coming down the pipe here, as um, I'm following our church and our pastor, it he, he asks, how many people come to the Lord through your personal prosperity? How many people look at you going, oh, what's your mortgage interest rate? Oh, two and a half car garage. Oh, God has just been so good to you. Where do I get some? See, people like that, they only want what? The stuff. Where people pay attention to us is when we suffer. Like, how do you keep serving the Lord? How do you keep walking with the Lord? Although it seems that this isn't a very pleasant experience. We're, they're going to see the joy. They're going to see the fact that you are living by faith and he is sustaining you and he is providing for you. That's what they want to see, right? God may very well throw a famine upon our country in order that many will come to know Jesus, right? He's going to take away the American dream. He's going to take away our constitution. He's going to take away, you know, I, I saw one meme. It says, God, God is not going to send a man to deliver America. You know, as Aaron coined a term, what was it, the Republic Christians? We just need to get our man in office, really? Look at the men who've claimed to be Christians throughout presidential history and see how bad of their administration was, right? They were some of the worst presidents. I won't mention names. You could study it yourself. But God's not going to send a man. He's going to send himself, but he'll take away whatever we're leaning on and, and take away the prosperity so that people will come to know Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Then Elisha went to Damascus. And Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So... Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Ooh, this is a temptation to lie, isn't it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Look at all this stuff, right? We don't know whether or not Elisha took, took this, but... He's greasing the palms here a little bit, you know. Tell me some good news. You know, it's not uncommon in times of trial for rulers historically to seek the favor of ministers of the spirit realm in general. You know, Hitler, 
had his mediums and his sorcerers, right? World War One, they would, I read a book, it's called Demon Device, how they would bring soothsayers through Scotland Yard to find missing criminals and at the turn of the century. And, you know, there's always just when you're desperate, you look to the supernatural realm, good and bad, right? You know, some of our presidents throughout history have had wives, right? You guys remember uh, Ronald Reagan, Nancy Reagan was consulting spirits and mediums in the White House, right? You didn't hear that part. Well, the other side of it was uh, uh, Abe Lincoln's wife dabbled around with seances and playing with the spirit realm. You know, he was a believer, but that was going on in the White House. Well, and you saw that throughout Bible history, you know, with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He called in all of his court sorcerers. They're like, hey, tell me what the dream meant. They're like, sure, tell us your dream. He says, Haha, if you're so smart, you tell me the dream. They're like, uh, we don't know. And so they go and find Daniel. And Daniel shows up and he's just like, this is what's happening. God gave him revelation. Um, Daniel, same thing. Uh, not Daniel, excuse me, um, Joseph. So um, it's not uncommon that that people turn to the supernatural. Now, not everything supernatural is of God, right? We see Ouija boards are popular. We see that people read their horoscopes. They have magic eight balls. They have all these things that they think they can predict or determine future events, right? Or they're consulting dead people of some sort, right? That's not of God. That's Satan. That's deceptive. But he goes straight to the source here. He, he does bring in the man of God. But notice his question is his question the appropriate question to ask? He says, shall I recover from this disease? Well, this wasn't a household cold. This wasn't just like he had the sniffles. This is one of those wake-up call diseases, right? The ones that make you consider, what are you going to do if God grants you more time? How is this going to tune you up, right? I think I'm in good company today. There's been a couple of us who've... Uh, had that school, the spirit, where God's like, all right now, time to talk, right? <laughs> and it's not that God hated us, but he, he had to do a work in us through a disease, right? And the fact that you guys are here today tells me you took the test and got the A, right? Um, there's something about when your life is seemingly about to run out, and this guy is just simply, in my opinion, going, do I have more time? Isn't that what the world always wants to do? They just want to get more time to live more carnally. I've met people that, you know, I've died on the slab and I've come back and I'm, I've defied God. Sold a bicycle to a guy like that. He just went on to live more immoral, more reprobate, more self-indulgent because he thought he died and defeated the odds. Well... <laughs> God's trying to get under this guy's skin. He's putting him in the hotbed here. And I think his question's faulty here. Maybe he should have asked to be healed, or better yet, maybe he should have asked, what must I do to get saved? And Elisha said to him, go, say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Really, what's coming down to here is, uh, yeah, the, the sickness will pass, but he's still going to die. Isn't that really what it comes down to for every person? I mean, so what? So if God grants you more time, what are you going to do with it? You're still going to die. Think of Lazarus. 
did Lazarus die again? <laughs> He's looking for Jesus going, don't bring me back this time, bro. Like, like this cool. The first one was cool. I get it. You know, I was in eternity. I was in Abraham's bosom. Things are good. And you brought me back, teach some lessons. But when I go again, hey, keep me down, right? Just going to die again. Well, God's foreknowledge seems to be kind of a bit of a paradox here. He says, you're going to recover, but you're still going to die. Now, whenever God gives us a glimpse of future events, it's to do one of two things. It's either to prepare us or to warn us, right? We all have that. I mean, if you've read what's going to happen in the world from this day forward, it's not a very good situation until you get to about Revelation 19. Okay. I believe the church won't be going through the book of Revelation, right? If you do find yourself going through the tribulation, feed the dogs while I'm gone. I'll be back in seven years, okay? Um, verse 11, then he set his countenance into a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. So God gave Elijah this heavy trip, this heavy glimpse of future events, and it was very emotional. I can't help but look at future events. You know, there's a lot of future events that you just read in the Old Testament that are yet to occur, right? And then you read what's going on in Revelation, of course. Uh, it's not getting better. Now, everything's falling into place. This is God's plan, okay? And you and I have been set into this moment of history because this is what God thought was best for you and I. So you don't have to worry about, oh my God, what are we going to do? You love the Lord, be obedient, he'll see you through it, right? Be prepared to suffer. Things are going to go the way they are, and God will protect and provide for you. It's like people talk about, you know, are we going back to normal? Which means, are we going to go back to the world of 2019? No, the world's radically changed in the last two years. I mean, have you, we were, we've been talking about what they're going to do just in the IRS in the next year, Right? Big government's coming to monitor all your money so that it'll go to a one-world currency and a cashless society, just as the Bible said. You know, there's going to be a one-world ruler. There's going to be, you know, forced uh, uh, compliance to the government. All things the Bible's predicted, and now we're just seeing the seeds of that starting to sprout. And so you and I, Christian, how does it affect us knowing that our friends and family are going to go through the worst part of world history ever? We have an opportunity to do something with that, with our evangelism, right? You and I are a vocal minority, you know? Talk louder, right? Are you going to let people, are you going to be so polite that you're going to let people go to hell? Or are you going to be so rude to get them into heaven? So you're all going to go back to holidays for Christmas, and some people might even let you pray. Don't waste the shot. That way you don't have to haul all your kids there next year when they don't invite you back. <laughs> So, Christian, are you burdened knowing that people are dying and going to hell? Are you burdened that there are going to be people you know and love that very well may go into the tribu tribulation? Now, maybe I'm an old-timer by now, but I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. And so as I was reading and studying eschatology in my early days and being fascinated, I always thought, oh, this would never happen in my lifetime. Ugh. Well, we're here now. 
And we see we very well may be on the cusp of serious end times events. Now, all that tells me is, hey, Jesus is coming back. Okay, I learned this lesson from the dollar stores. Okay, right? Because when you start putting up the Thanksgiving decorations, you know what's coming. Christmas. Right? Once you take Christmas down, you start doing Valentine's and 4th of July. Like, you guys are always like three holidays ahead, aren't you? Just get the merch out. And it's the same thing. When you start to see things in our culture starting to pop up, that just means Jesus is closer now than he was yesterday. So, are you burdened by future events? You should be. You should be. Now, rejoice. You're going to go up in the rapture if you believe the rapture, which I do and I teach. You know, we don't like that. There's churches that don't. That's fine. Um, but you're here in my church today. So, um, Verse 12 here. And Hazael said, why is my Lord weeping? He answered, because. No, he says, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. So Hazael said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become the king over Syria. So in an instant, God showed him that this guy is going to succeed the king, and he's going to do terrible, terrible, terrible things. Right? You know, I look at just the events in Israel, particularly the events in just world history. So I believe, let me just lay out my personal belief. You're free to believe what you want, that the Antichrist will not appear until the church is gone. Okay? We won't see the Antichrist, right? We're not called to even look for the Antichrist. We're to look for who? Jesus Christ. So the Antichrist will appear, and he will show up to solve all the world's problems, won't he? I've got all the answers, right? And the world will buy it. Israel will buy it, because then he's going to allow Israel to build their temple, right? The temple will be rebuilt. There will be a ginormous influx of Jewish people back to the land of Israel, but they're coming back to what? A holocaust, greater than World War II. See, Satan hates Israel. Satan hates the Jews. And if he can kill all the Jews, then Jesus can't come back to set up the messianic kingdom for Israel. See the logic there? This is why the world is so anti-Semitic. This is why Israel goes to the UN, then they're at the top of the list every year. The world hates Israel. Why? Because of the name they take, which is governed by God. Okay, these are God's people. Not that they're moral or exceptional, but God has made a covenant with them. So they're going to come back to a holocaust. Two-thirds of all Israel will die in the tribulation. That's a lot of Jews. Okay? But this has been their, this has been their game plan all through history. They walk with God. They do what God says. Then they fall into idolatry, fall into rebellion. God has to judge them. God has to wipe them out. God has to bring, bring about a remnant and rinse and repeat. And so they aren't ultimately going to learn their lesson from this famine that this king is going to do some really wicked things to Israel. And it was, it's a bummer. But then Hazel goes, I can't believe you would say that I would do something like that. Are you calling me a liar? You go, right? You ever minister to somebody and you got to tell them the truth, Doug? 
right? And then they go, you're judging me. I can't believe you'd say I'd do that. And then it's like the minute you're done talking to them, they're doing the very thing they said they don't do. <laughs> Christian, you have to be careful of the depravity that is in your heart. Okay? Don't ever think you're better than anyone else and that you don't have the capacity of evil in you. What, what did Jesus say about the human heart? That's where murderers or murder begins. That's where adultery begins. That's where all this stuff begins is in man's heart, right? Jeremiah 17.9, this might be some of your guys' life verse. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Right? Right? Some camps teach what's called total depravity, and I agree with them. There's nothing good in a person. Right? You raise kids? Anyone raise kids? Do you have to teach them to lie? No. Do you have to teach them to steal? No. They figure it out on their own. Right? It gets more sophisticated year by year with my toddler. Oh, oh, she's smart, you know. So I gotta, I gotta just be two steps ahead of her. Romans chapter 3. Again, one of these beautiful sayings you never find at Hobby Lobby. As it is written, there is none righteous, no one, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no one, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Don't we just cover this in a class we take on Wednesdays? Like, like, Christian, come to terms with you are evil. You are inherently evil. You are wicked. You are despicable, right? Carnal, vomitous, fleshy bag of pus right what does paul say in me lies no good thing this is paul this is our hero going in me and you're gonna find as you walk with jesus you're gonna just get more and more aware of your sinfulness have you noticed as you walk with jesus you're not more faithy you're thinking some days you're like i'm just gonna go levitate on the lake today you know i'm just gonna walk around and just have all the answers you know i'm just gonna heal people and you just you walk around in a sense of just more and more awareness because you're walking in the light. And the light of Christ shines on our disobedience. My wife has this device on her bathroom mirror. It's a magnifier. She doesn't have it in order for us to see how beautiful we are in the morning. It's to closely examine the zits and the blackheads and the stubble and the cold sores and all the eye boogers, right? That's what you look for when you go in the mirror. You don't go like, oh, I, I've lost weight today, right? No, you're like, yuck, I got things to remove. And so as you walk with Jesus, the light shines, and you're like, yuck, Jesus, just don't wash my feet. Wash all of me. I'm yucky, you know? We can get discouraged. But just agree with the Bible. Just walk out of here going, I'm just a biblical Christian. I'm carnal, right? Well, he didn't think the Bible applied to him. Verse 14, Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master who said to him, 
What did Elijah say to you? What's the answer? What's, 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 what's he tell you? And he answered, he told me you would surely recover. <laughs> Wait a second. This is a half truth. He said, yeah, you're going to recover, but you're going to die. You know, he didn't give him the full report. You know, what is a half truth? A full lie. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazael <laughs> reigned in his place. Right? Killed him. He did a method, too, that didn't leave marks. Like, he thought this one out. That's our Bible application. Don't leave marks. When you kill someone, don't leave marks. No, no, that's not. <laughs> You're, stop writing that down. You guys are writing it down over there. Don't do that. <laughs> but he goes from saying he wasn't ever capable of doing that to within how many hours was he murdering the king? I like Romans 7 because it's very confusing. But when you read these passages... It makes sense. Romans 7, you know, verse 18, it says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, you're going to practice this this holiday, right? You're going to go to holiday gatherings. You're going to see an assortment of foods you normally would not buy, touch, taste, but it's in front of you. And you're going to reach for the candy corn that was left over from from, uh, Halloween. You're going to eat the ribbon candy. How about this one? Fruitcake. Anyone like or eat fruitcake? But y'all, of course, Howard. But you ever find yourself doing something you don't even want to do? Like, you're just like, like, we all know this with the wet paint sign. We've all done it. The sign says, wet paint, do not touch. What do we do? We're like, (gasps) isn't there something satisfying, the vicarious libation that it provides? Like, you're breaking the law of the universe that day. You're like, and then when it's wet, you get offended. Like, oh, my God, I didn't think it would be wet. The sign said it was. Right? Isn't that human nature? We just want to do what we don't want to do because it's the sin in it. It's the rebellion that we're born into, the, de- the depraved heart. Let's wrap this up here. One last parable. We're not going to get through the whole chapter. So we're shifting gears here in verse 16. It says, Now in the fifth year of Jerome, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jerome, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned 80 years in Jerusalem. So now we've shifted into the southern kingdom, who who seems to be under the guiding and protection of of the Lord because of the covenant he made with David. And we see that um, we've got this young man who was raised in a godly home, right? He was the son of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat was the son of who? He was the son of King Asa, all very good, godly kings. Well, it says, And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab has done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ahab and Jezebel had a daughter, and he was like, ooh, 
Hello. Maybe we should, like, unite kingdoms or have some political involvement. Or he was just attracted to her for obvious reasons. But the Bible is going to teach us this. Who you marry is important. Okay? Write this down, Danielle. <laughs> Don't just marry someone who knows the Lord. Marry someone who loves the Lord. See, he was third-generation believer. He knew right and wrong. He was raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But we're going to see that how one ungodly woman will undo three generations in this godly lineage. Right? Some of you guys may have been involved with unbelievers in your faith walk in a covenant-type relationship. And how did it work out for you? Right? Look what happened to, we learned from King Solomon. All those strange wives, what did they do? They turned his heart, right? We need to be careful as to who we marry. It says, yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. So we'll stop right there. We'll pick up on verse 20 next week. But we see the hand of God working in human affairs. And oftentimes we can mislabel a situation. Just because it may be temporarily bad doesn't mean something greater is coming. Isn't coming, I should say. Don't, don't just label it as such, right? Be open to how the Lord's going to lead. Just, just do what the Lord's saying in the moment. And when he says, hey, give up something, give it up. Right? If he says, stay put, stay put. We don't know. You know, just be obedient here. But the Lord knows what he's doing. You know, I'll, I'm going to end just on the, the last story. So like, some of you guys know in 2019, I moved my business, right? I used to have a commercial storefront, and then the Lord was just like, hey, time to move. Oh, I don't have the money. That's always, that's my counter prayer. Lord, I don't have the money, right? You guys familiar with that? And, and in, in the effort to appease my wife, it wasn't even I was stepping out in faith. I just wanted to give her a shut the heck up house. <laughs> she, uh... She started looking at houses. So we want to have more kids, right? Or buy more children, however you see it. But our current facility was obsolete. We needed a big house. And so we kept looking at these great big houses, and they were all duplexes or whatnot. And I was just praying as we were looking at these houses. I'm like, God, why are you showing me these great big houses? He's just like, because you're going to bring your business home. Oh, very good. Okay. So that opens up a whole other slew of questions. What do I do now to reboot my business? Blah, 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 blah. And so we uh, just the next day, my wife was on Zillow, and the house that we currently live in popped up. And it's been on the market for like two years, right? The price wasn't bad. It's just nobody was buying. Nobody was hitting. They're like, something's wrong with this. Something's got to be wrong. And so uh, one day, me and Aaron went over there to uh, jiggle door handles, and we, we did a B&E. <laughs> And we were, we were looking at, like, this place is really cool, you know? And we're like, so. And the Lord's just like, well, go call a realtor, go submit a bid. I'm like, but I don't have, I, I had 400 bucks in my checking account. He said, don't worry about that. And the realtor's just like, all right, we're going to make this work. Because the realtor didn't even like the house. He's just like, you got to come up with some money. So how much do I need? He told me. Well, then a customer came in the next day plopped on a huge amount of cash for a tattoo. I'm like, mm -hmm. he's like, well, Mr. Smarty Pants, you still got to come up with the closing costs and the d deposit. And I'm just like, just watch. 
when do I need to buy? He says, Thursday. Okay. I went home and had a nervous breakdown because I committed myself to a large commitment here. And the Lord told me who to call. And I called another brother. And another brother's like, all right, sent me the money overnight. And he actually sent more than I asked. Because when I went to the real estate office, he's like, here's the final number. And it just happened to be the number the brother gave me. And so I, but here's what I did. I sat the realtor down. I said, oh, hey, boy, I just hired you. I mean, stop talking me out of this dump. Stop talking me out of everything. He wanted me to buy a more expensive house. Why? More commission. Yeah, he's a businessman. I just said, sell me this house. I don't want to hear it. I just, la, la, la. Don't want to hear it. I said, I prayed about it. God told me to buy this house. Whatever. Uh, will you work for me? Will you do your job? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do my job. All right. Very good. And so through all that process, so we stepped out in faith. God provided, right? We got the house. We got everything squared away. But what God didn't tell me was in March of 2020, I would get a letter from the Department of Health saying tattooing nationwide will be shut down indefinitely. Well, if you guys understand how my business works, I make 50% of my money between February, March, and April. That's tax time. I'm like, great. I've committed to this loan. I've committed to this agreement. I've, I'm, I'm in. I have no money. I, what are we going to do? Let's just watch the Lord work. And, you know, he was faithful. He provided all the, you know, you guys understood what happened in 20. But the next year, I get woken up in June. People are bombing my phone, sending me pictures of my old retail location. The indoor barbecue that was going on there, right? It was scorched earth campaign. The building burnt to the ground. And so some people didn't know that I've already moved, but I'm getting all these panic calls. Are you all right? Did you get your stuff out? Are you good? Are you still in business? I'm like, bro, I left a year ago. So I look back, and if I would have let my pragmatic self dictate what God was trying to tell me, I would have missed out on dodging two bullets. And he was faithful to provide through all that, bless my business even more so because of what I did, and he continues to do so. And then the, all the things that seem to have been a deterrent on the, on the deal that the, the flags that the realtor found, the Lord that winter provided for all that. Someone called me up. How much do you need? We want to remodel for you. You know, wrote me a check, right? Furnace broke down on Thanksgiving. Got to see how expensive space heaters can be. <laughs> Lord provided for that. You know, so just... Repeatedly, repeatedly, we just stopped out in faith. And the next year, I got enough money to do windows, things like that. And the Lord, you know what the Lord rebuked me on? He says, you didn't pray big enough. He says, you could have asked for more. But I got pragmatic. Oh, Lord can't do it. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough skill. Really? Like, Lord's limited. So whatever God's telling you, whatever seems to be common sense, doesn't always match faith. Faith, because we've understood from Wednesday's study, God's ways are not our ways. Our ways are not God's ways. So just because God doesn't think like us doesn't mean he knows, he doesn't know what he's doing. So if the Lord's doing something for you right now, redirecting you against your common sense, listen to it, right? And he'll bless it. So with that, let's pray.